Hi, I'm Don Braid. This is Inside Alberta. I'm with columnist Chris Varco, and they've got a lot of things we'd like to talk about today. Uh, one thing is just a tiny bit stale because that's the approval of the Trans Mountain Pipeline last Tuesday. Um, and uh, But it's interesting, something that we clamored for, cried for, people wanted has been done, and it's like it has done nothing to change the, the public mood. Uh, there, People are a little, I think it's already been built in just about everybody's calculation, and there's still people who are actually uh, very skeptical about whether it will be built, and we're probably going to have a summer of some trouble on that front. But but this mood, uh, particularly in Calgary and Alberta, certainly you see it deepening in Edmonton, too. This mood of what's next, how do we get out of this, is still there. And some, some interesting things are going on in, on that front, too. You know, I thought it was very interesting that Jim Gray led that group that went to city council and demanded a halt to the Green Line, saying that it would be an economic catastrophe if we uh, proceed with it, or could be an economic catastrophe. That was a very unusual thing for a business group to do. And then we have other signs that, that business people are stepping out and outside of their normal framework, which is usually the Chamber of Commerce or press conference with about their own company, stepping out and grouping together to try and get things moving in a way that business people have traditionally and, and often very admirably done in Calgary in the past. And Chris, you wrote about that, about a business group that's doing just that. Could you talk about that a bit? Sure. Um, going back to your first point, Don, I think you are right that there is a high level of skepticism, cynicism, choose, choose your words, and a little bit of negativity about anything that happens because I think there's a suspicion that it's kind of like Charlie Brown in the football, that, that you know we're going to uh, run towards the ball, get ready to kick it, Pipeline's just about to be built, and then it gets pulled away and we fall back on our backs yet again. And I think that's the sense you're hearing from the business community, certainly from many players in the oil patch who I spoke with last week mm -hmm. about Trans Mountain. And you saw that at Bill Morneau's uh, speech that he gave here in Calgary. As people were very unimpressed. They didn't think that he really answered the questions about, is this project going to get built? Does the government have the resolve to go ahead? Getting to your broader point, though, which is, what is business going to do about it? We saw on Thursday the formation, the official formation of the Business Council of Alberta. This is a new group. Uh, it's mainly CEOs and uh, chairmen of the boards, so you know, high-level leadership of some of the largest organizations in the province. There's more than 40 of them that have come together to form them. This includes companies, everything from PCL Construction to WestJet, Shaw Communications. Um, when you look at who's on the board of founders, the chairman is Hal Quisley, a very well-known businessman, oil patch um, sort of legend, former head of TransCanada. He's going to chair this. Uh, other founders include Ron Mannix, Nancy Southern, Mac Van Willigan, um, Don Farrell, the CEO of uh, TransAlta. So we're talking about some real heavy hitters. Including Ron Mannix, who hardly ever does anything public, right? It very seldom appears in that kind of public format. Absolutely. And they're getting together to form this council, and its aim is to restore Alberta's prosperity. And it's not just business prosperity, they're careful to note. They want to extend the prosperity to workers. They want to talk about education. They want to talk about healthcare, workers' training. And Don Farrell spoke to me about this, and she said, look, we've got a problem with a lack of optimism in a province which is noted for its optimism. And this yeah. is part of the attempt to get that back, to mm -hmm. get, as, as Jim Gray said earlier in the week to me, get our mojo back. And that's not an easy thing to do. It's a bit like trying to turn around a ship in the middle of the ocean. It's gonna take a while to get the direction pointed exactly. in, you know, in the right yeah. way, in the right time, 
keep your eye on the horizon and move the ball and you know move the ship forward but the fact that they're taking it i think is an important step you know we're we're two and a half months away from the election and uh, partly because of Kenny's election campaign and his platform and all the rest of it and the things he did very quickly, like canceling the carbon tax, I think there was an expectation that things w- we would get a bump, that there would be a lift. Uh, I don't think people are seeing that. Uh, there's some things, in, in, in particular in Calgary, seem to be changing a bit. The housing market seems to improve. People have a bit more long-term confidence, perhaps, to do things like that. But, but there hasn't been this sort of instant bump that Kenny had didn't promise exactly, but certainly led people to expect could happen. And I think the formation of that group is fascinating because because it goes outside of all current structures. And there are structures that those people could have worked through. They could have worked through the Chamber of Commerce, they could work through their own companies. But to have 40 groups like that join in together themselves for something totally different outside of city council, all of that is, is uh, very interesting indeed, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing that is that is going on, Don, that you and I were, were, have been chatting about recently is obviously what's going on in the Senate. Oh, bill yes. C-69 and Bill C-48 were both passed last week, much to the consternation of the Alberta government. Uh, what did you make about um, Premier Kenny's response to that and his plans to have Senate elections again? Well, first of all, for all those of you who are listening, you can hit mute at this point, if you like, because we are <laughs> actually talking about the Senate. But but the Senate is has revealed itself as to how important and potentially important it is with Bill C-69 and Bill C-48. Bill C-48 uh, only lost three by three votes the, the effort to kill it, to kill C-48. And that's a remarkable thing for the Senate to do. And, uh, and it's very likely, in my conversations with senators, that there were, just, there were a few senators who were extremely nervous about the idea of killing a major government bill because they aren't elected. They know they're not elected. They have the constitutional power to do it, but it's very seldom exercised because they're not elected. So they defer to the will of the House of Commons, right? Well, if they had been elected, how many senators felt like who felt like that would have, in fact, voted against Bill C-48? It probably would have lost. This has been an issue for years and years. I can still remember the Tripoli Senate drive, Burt Brown, back in the 80s, and it was a big thing for a while then. The the Meech Lake Accord actually had a provision in it for 10 senators per province. I was standing there when Robert Brassat from Quebec agreed. I couldn't believe my ears. We actually had the possibility of an equal and elected Senate, which with some twists that might not have worked out too well. But it's back in the sense that I think now people can recognize how important this could could be. So Kenny wants to do what was done before, which is essentially to uh, pass a law that the, basically the same kind of idea that lapsed in 2016, that, that Albertans will vote uh, on a list of candidates to be nominees to the Senate, because we can, the, the province would nominate them, but the prime minister and still has to appoint them, right? right. Well, there have been nom- there have been elected senators sitting out there for years, like Mike Shake from Calgary uh, was on the list of nominees, but Harper didn't appoint him. He appointed Scott Tannis and Doug Black. He didn't appoint Shake, and tr- and Trudeau just appointed two senators in Alberta without re- reference to Mike Shake, who had been elected this way. One of the realities of this is, if they're going to do it you're probably only going to get appointed by a conservative prime minister, right? Right. <laughs> so, so, but is it worth doing? Because, Despite that, I think it very much is worth doing. Because if you look at what happened during the whole Bill C-4869 debates, Tannis and Scott 
with a couple of others, uh, Elaine McCoy, who was a conservative, was appointed by Jean Chrétien for reasons I still can't fathom. Uh, but but Tannis and, and Scott were firmly on side with the deep concerns about these bills and the Alberta population and then the energy community and so forth. The others are wobbly, like Paula Simons, the new senator, she voted for C-69, she thinks it's okay now. And, um, you know, so I think uh, holding this election, despite what Rachel Notley says, uh, she says it appoints people for life. Well, it doesn't. They're appointed until they're 75. Some some of us don't think life ends at <laughs> 75, right? <laughs> but despite all the concerns about it, I still think it's a good thing to go back to. I guess I'm less enthusiastic, Don. I remember the previous elections of senators in this province uh, under Ralph Klein and, and afterwards. There was very little public interest in it. There was very few candidates who ran. Um, we only have six senators, and not all of them are elected. And the problem is, is that we're the only province that is going down this path. It's very tricky, as former Prime Minister Stephen Harper found out, to try and reform the Senate. Uh, and we've seen Prime Minister Trudeau elect, or appoint rather, um, independent senators, as they call them. And yet they still vote along party lines for the most exactly. part. So I, I guess I'm rather dubious. One would hope that the Senate would actually have a purpose. We saw a little glimmer of hope here when they made some amendments that were actually endorsed to basically show that the Senate can work, but I'm not so sure how much interest there's going to be in Senate elections, and I'm really not so sure how much national interest there's going to be in having any meaningful change. Well, there will be none. There'll be no national interest, but I think I, I, I would disagree only on one point. I think there was a lot more than a glimmer of hope. Uh, this was remarkable what happened, that the Senate rose up, or many senators rose up, challenged these bills. Uh, made the points time and time again, and in the case of Bill C-48, they came very close to defeating the bill. And yet it was still, and yet it was still passed, just well, like C-69. Well, it was C-69. still passed, but as I said, if it had been elected, it probably would have would have failed. The, the bill probably would have been defeated. Now, okay, so if uh, there's two points here. Should we have an equal Senate? Yes, we should. Are we going to get an equal Senate? With it, like, you know, Delaware in the states has two senators. So does New York State. You know, that, that's one of the reasons they have a, a kind of better built federation in some ways than we do, at least when it comes to regional economic interests. We have nothing like that. But I don't see why we shouldn't make what we've got uh, as as effective as possible. And and the fact is that Doug Black and Scott Tannis, and, and I think particularly Black, he was more public with it, were incredibly effective in almost defeating that bill. And they did it. In fact, I was just talking to Senator Black earlier today, and he did it because he feels like having earned in 2012, despite the lack of interest, 440,000 votes to be nominated as a senator, he feels a deep obligation to represent the interests of the province. The others went with the Liberal Party that appointed them despite the fact they're called independents. You're an optimist, Don. I guess I'm, I'm seeing the glass half empty here. Let's Talking about glasses half empty, let's talk about the Western Premier's meeting that's going on mm-hmm. up in Edmonton on Thursday. We've got uh, Premier Kenny uh, said this morning, as, as we, before we tape this, that you know they're going to be discussing the opioid crisis. They're going to be talking about resource development, uh, sovereignty issues. I'm particularly interested in the dynamic between Jason Kenney sitting down and talking with John Horgan just a week after Trans Mountain was approved. What do you make of that? And what are you <laughs> watching for, Don? Well, it's um, the Western Premier's Conference is um, almost moribund compared to the way it used to be. I can still remember when reporters flocked to Yorkton in your home province to hear them complain about federal intrusions like control over video games and stuff like that. <laughs> 
Um, it's an important meeting in a way, and I think Kenny is obviously using it to solidify his relationships with the other conservative premiers, that is Moe and, and Palliser, who's now in an election campaign, right? right? And also with the northern leaders, too. They're increasingly important, and they, they have, have some voice. Um, so I think th- that whole conservative alliance thing is certainly part of his thinking. And we're really going to see how that plays out on the national stage in the fall, Chris, because honestly, if you line up like seven or eight premiers against Trudeau who are conservative, man, I, I, we were talking earlier and I said that, that um, the, Trudeau will be able to paint Scheer as, uh, the, as, as J- Pierre Trudeau once said of Joe Clark as the, uh, the head waiter to the provinces, right? Exactly. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, federal election dynamics going on. I, I don't know what to come up with as a communique, uh, but certainly uh, there's going to be something between Harper and, uh, or rather between Kenny and Horgan over the pipeline. What I'm really interested in, <clears throat> excuse me, in seeing is the dynamic between them in terms of cooperating. Because yeah. I think there is a space here for the two Western yeah. premiers to cooperate. And the one area I think is most evident would be on liquefied natural gas. We know that John Horgan is in favor of LNG. Uh, in fact, his government has helped uh, see the LNG Canada project, that $40 billion behemoth right. project move ahead. Jason Kenney also wants to see another LNG plant happen. That would be very good for Alberta natural gas producers to have some way to export their product to market. So there should be some space here for the two of them to try and come up with some sort of agreement or some sort of understanding on how they can make that happen. Can they set aside the personal animus over Trans Mountain? I guess that's the question. I think that's kind of Horgan's choice. Like, can Horgan kind of uh, reach some kind of communique type agreement with Kenny on LNG or, or something like that without backing away from, from his Trans Mountain opposition, which is still pretty profound. Uh, Kenny said uh, at the beginning today that, that, that he's he's open to those kinds of things. They've got this area of disagreement they can agree on other right. things. I, I kind of think, Chris, this takes us to the whole war room thing, right? I, I, I kind of think that now that Kenny's in office, people are a little less enthusiastic about just marching to battle every day on some of this stuff because when government's doing it, it's a different thing altogether. And I think uh, you know, certainly on the TMX thing, people are ready, are still ready for a brawl. But when it comes to all these other issues that are hugely important, people would, generally speaking, still want collaboration. I agree with you. I, I hope that they both of them can compartmentalize these issues um, because I don't necessarily think they're connected. I think that LNG is a win for both provinces. Uh, and as you point out, you can't be fighting all the time. You've got to pick your battles. Yeah. This is one of those areas where I think there's an obvious reason to cooperate, and uh, I guess we'll see we what will. they reach with here in mm. the coming days. Well, if only they would ask us how to do all this stuff. It, we it would, would be a better it. country, wouldn't you think? Huh? <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.